Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy, as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website, as well as on this podcast. My guest is Divya Panchanathan, Business Development Manager for Material Science Research and Manufacturing in Space for Axiom Space. Divya, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom, for having me. This is a uh, great opportunity. It's a great pleasure for us as well. Let's talk, first of all, just a little bit about your background. Tell us how you came to be where you are. Absolutely. Um, so I'm uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm um, a fluid mechanics slash material scientist by background. Uh, I did my PhD from uh, MIT in 2018. Uh, and I, I was mostly a, a scientist working in the lab, uh, you know, hands-on experiments, um, making designing surfaces for repelling water, oil. So a lot of um, uh, research work on the, on the bench. And then after that, I worked in a filtration company called Donaldson Company for two years uh, in an R&D role and uh, then joined uh, Axiom Space uh, over the last year. So I've been here about 10, 10 months now and uh, I'm in the business development um, position here. And my role here is mainly to uh, help uh, our, our Axiom's customers to identify new opportunities in microgravity, especially in the area of material science. So give me, if you could, a brief history of Axiom Space, because the company is not a newcomer to this field of microgravity research. Yeah, so Axiom Space was uh, was founded by um, two visionary people. So as you know, Michael Sufradini and Cam Kafarian, and this was back way back in 2016. Uh, we uh, they they so Michael Sufradini has uh, extensive background in uh, both building and operating a uh, space station because he was the former uh, manager of uh, ISS. And uh, Cam Kaferian, on the other hand, he had founded a company called SGT Technologies, uh, which, uh, which uh, became one of the major contractors for NASA. Uh, for providing human spaceflight training as well as other engineering services. So these two people came together and there was no better like there's no better combination that you can have, especially at that time, uh, to have that vision to meet the unmet needs in the uh, low Earth orbit. And uh, there was the need to have a seamless transition as the ISS was coming to its end of life. And uh, how do you transition that to commercial uh, players uh, as the low Earth orbit was opened to commercialization? So that's how this company was found. And um, we've been having a really um, good head start there. So it's been about five years. Uh, we've expanded a lot. Um, we have about 300 plus uh, employees right now and already I've started building our first modules. Has the goal of the company always been to establish a private space station or was that something that evolved over time? No, th this has always been the, the case. So as I mentioned, uh, these are the two people who came together to, to put together this uh, vision and um, they have always been about um, meeting the unmet needs in the uh, low Earth orbit and using commercial services. So one of the things is we have been, um, we wanted to make space accessible to all types of uh, uh, people. So we, uh, 
all types of governments, visionary governments, uh, researchers, um, manufacturers, as well as individuals um, who want to use space for, uh, for furthering economic development as well as uh, push the frontiers of human space uh, exploration. So this has always been the objective to be a commercial space station. Um, yeah. So describe for us the Axiom station and how that's going to be assembled in conjunction with ISS. Yeah, so the Axiom station um, is uh, comprises of, of four modules. Uh, that's the current design. Uh, it's it's the, the first module will consist consist of uh, crew quarters as well as some research uh, space, and this is scheduled to launch in 2024. Uh, after that, uh, we'll have the second module uh, that goes up, uh, which also will consist of crew quarters and some research space that'll go up in 2025, and uh, after um, and then. We have the third one, which will be uh, which will be dedicated specifically towards research and manufacturing, and the last one would be the power and uh, life support module. So uh, the entire space station is uh, scheduled to be built over the period of four years, from 2024 to 2028. And one thing to notice uh, is that the main uh, thing is we are we are going to be attaching ourselves to the ISS to begin with. And it's intended to give a seamless transition uh, from a government-owned station to a commercial station. So, so some of the advantages of this is that it provides continuity for all the both NASA as well as um, uh, as well as the, any Axiom customers who are currently doing work on the ISS. So you can imagine that in the future when we become a free flyer. All you have to do is transition all the equipment or whatever they're working on from the ISS over uh, to the Axiom station through an hatch, and you don't have to uh, like decide how to bring it down, transport it back up. So it's very important to maintain that continuity to build that marketplace, uh, a commercial mar marketplace in the low Earth orbit. The second advantage of this whole uh, design uh, is that we don't have to uh, build all the modules together, especially the life support and the power module from the very beginning to, to operate a space station. We can start operating immediately with using the resources of the ISS and get a head start into building the markets um, uh, in low Earth orbit. And then when we have our power module, we'll be able to be a free, a free, free flyer and be an independent space station. Was this a clean sheet design or was it technology licensed from NASA? So Axiom Space is building this uh, Axiom station using all the lessons that has been, uh, been um, learned from the building of the ISS uh, and operating the ISS. So it's not, uh, it's not like we are starting clean sheet in terms of knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge to leverage. But we also believe in innovation. That's one of our core values. And we, we are trying to see what are the things that we can do differently that can um, address some of the problems that ISS was facing previously. So for example, uh, in terms of the research itself, right? there's a lot of um, uh, uh, like work that uh, scientists had to do to, to integrate their experiments to space because they were very specific interfaces um, in the, on the ISS. These are very old interfaces. And so you just have to spend more money and time for just modifying your, uh, your equipment for space. Now we, we are working towards having very easy to use, potentially just plug-in interfaces 
that you can just send your instrument that you use in your lab right now and uh, and then just plug it into the R space station so you don't have to do too much modification. So that's one of the uh, uh, big innovation that we're trying to do. Um, another thing that we are also uh, trying to do is making our station more human friendly and uh, both aest aesthetically and functionally. So if you've seen the ICE, some of the pictures of the ISS, it's a lot of stuff, right, uh, all around right. the station. So it's not um, it's not pleasant for humans to be present there for long periods of time. So that's another thing that we are trying to uh, uh, innovate using a design team that um, that thinks about what is it like to live in a, such an environment for long term, uh, and also uh, have interfaces and um, facilities that are easy to use for uh, for human uh, humans in space who are not also very well trained right so they might be short term uh, missions they might be long term missions so there might be people who need to be able to operate these things without uh, too much thinking or too much training that's another is it the inflatable design like we saw from Bigelow and I think the one that um, Sierra Space is planning or is it a, a different construction method? Uh, right now, all the modules that we have planned, the four that I mentioned, they're all hard, hard wall modules. They're not inflatables. That being said, uh, I, uh, there is always, our, our uh, station is, is designed to be modular and has extra ports and it can be always expanded with both uh, inflatables as well as um, as well as hard hard wall models. And you're looking at being able to accommodate all manner of spacecraft, whether it be a Dragon or the Boeing spacecraft, the Starliner, maybe even a Russian spacecraft. So right now, uh, I. I don't have too much purview into this uh, this this question, okay. but but I think there is uh, we are definitely a, we are a commercial provider and we need to be able to um, use like all types of launch services. So, uh, so that's that's our goal, and so I I, I, uh, I think that this is how we are we are thinking of as a company. As well. Now, Divya, you work in business development at Axiom Space. So how do you pitch companies and how do companies pitch to you potential research and what is your selection process? So, so the main thing that I want to say here is that we as uh, Axiom Space, we we are we we want to provide our services and our uh, expertise to all types of customers, right? So we are not in the in the business of screening people who are coming to us. Um, as so, we we are looking to expand the user base of the low Earth orbit, and that consists both of companies that have thought about space earlier or have worked in space earlier, mm -hmm. and also of companies who have never ever thought of space before. So it can, and that's what those are the kind of companies that I work with. A lot of different material science, chemical engineering companies on Earth who are only used to operating on Earth and they don't know what it takes to go to space. So there is a lot of um, work that is involved as a business development manager. Uh, it's not my job to screen them, but it's about to help them see the vision uh, for their company in space and how they can be a successful uh, business in space as well. So it's identifying those opportunities and helping them lay that path towards that. So that's the kind of role that we play. And uh, and we, we offer all types of services for that. 
And uh, it's also important that we, we are able to build this sustainable uh, ecosystem in the low Earth orbit or, or, or marketplace in the low, low Earth orbit. And so it's important for our customers to be successful, for us to be su successful. So that's our, uh, our key policy or motto, I would say. What are the benefits of conducting research in microgravity? Okay, so there are a number of uh, benefits of uh, microgravity. So let me uh, first say that a, a, a big picture view is that microgravity, we believe that microgravity is, is, uh, can be used as an innovation platform by researchers and companies to, to achieve their goals on Earth. So it's not just, it's not just like a, a, a like a, one-time thing that you you want to do, but it's it's an environment, a new entirely new environment that you have now access to, and a tool that you have access to that you can use to innovate. So with that, I'll maybe get into a little bit more about the scientific benefits uh, that you see in in microgravity. Uh, for so a lot of the benefits in microgravity arise from fluid mechanics principles. So in on Earth, uh, you have but due to gravity, you have sedimentation. So if you have particles and liquid, you will have particles fall through, or if you have bubbles, the bubbles would rise, right? Um, you have that issue. And then you also have uh, a convection. So when, you, when you're boiling a pot of water, you see the bubbles like rolling around, right? So that's due to convection. Now this won't happen in microgravity. And where this benefits is, for example, in materials processes where you need a very quiescent environment uh, for, for growing a material, for example. Uh, and use, uh, this is usually seen uh, in crystal growth where you need to align uh, atoms or molecules in a very specific way uh, over uh, long periods of that uh, crystal lattice. And so if you have any defects, that can affect the performance of the crystal. And what type of crystals? It can range from proteins all the way to large crystals like semiconductor crystals or metal alloys. So you have a wide range of crystals that can be affected by this. The other uh, uh, interesting advantage of microgravity is uh, containerless processing. So this is something that you cannot do on Earth uh, at all. So one of the, uh, imagine like a blob of liquid that you can process without using a container. And that um, can have effects where you don't have any defects from the container that can, uh, that can uh, you know, affect the material uh, as well as you you have reduced shear forces as well. And, and the last thing uh, is I, I described more on the material science, but there's a lot of benefits on the life science as well, which is, as you know, cells have evolved to be, um, uh, to grow under microgravity, sorry, gravity conditions. And so when you take them to microgravity, they see a different environment, they react differently and they adapt differently. And that can be used uh, for, uh, for beneficial uh, cases like curing aging diseases, uh, synthetic biology, uh, as well as uh, there is also the case for tissue engineering, for example. Yeah. So those are some of the microgravity advantages um, I, I would like to highlight. I'm talking with Divya Panchanathan, Business Development Manager for Material Science Research and Manufacturing in Space for Axiom Space. Take a moment right now to click on subscribe to be sure you don't miss any of the podcasts or if you're watching on YouTube, any of the videos from Xterra, the Journal of Space Commerce. 
Divya, I'd like to turn a little bit now to talk about the AX-1 mission that's coming up. What's the significance of that mission? Absolutely. And this is the uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, milestones for um, uh, for Axiom Space, and I'm very really happy to address that. So this the significance of this X-1 mission is that, first of all, it's going to be the first fully private mission uh, to the international, uh, to, to, the, uh, to space. So when I mean fully private, I mean, there, were, there have been some previous uh, private individuals who've gone to space, but they've always gone with professional astronauts from different, uh, different governments. This is going to be a flight which is only consisting of private individuals. And these are pioneers who are traveling to space and are going to be opening up opportunities for further private space flight. And the uh, other two um, significance is that uh, Axiom calls these missions as precursor missions. And when we say precursor missions, we mean precursor to the establishment of the Axiom station and its services. So this, these type of missions help us uh, uh, to, to, for example, establish procedures and operations uh, before our station comes up. So we, we have a smooth transition uh, for that. Uh, and the uh, other thing is that uh, it's the last, um, it's, uh, it's, it's serving the demand uh, for uh, going to space right now. So we are definitely leveraging that and uh, helping build that, uh, starting to build the marketplace for the lower orbit. How was the crew selected? The crew. Um, so Axiom, as I mentioned, uh, is, has, uh, its goal is to support all types of customers. Okay. So we are not like, our, uh, our goal is not to screen customers. But that being said, this crew uh, uh, consists of mainly paying, cust uh, paying customers. And uh, we are a commercial space company, and we are, we are serving the demand that exists right now, as I mentioned. But, but that being said, that I also want to say that it's not that you can just buy this experience, uh, just like... Uh, just like the experience of climbing Mount Everest, for example, uh, you you need to, to be able to earn that experience as well. And when I say earn, I mean, you need to have to go through certain training requirements, which which spans across multiple months. And the, the customers have to be able to commit to that type of training. And they also have to meet certain physical tests that, uh, that, that would be, uh, that will make uh, make sure that this flight is safe for them. Uh, in in terms of tests, I should say that there is also the, it's not like as rigorous as uh, the selection is not as rigorous as probably other um, professional astronauts because some of these missions are short term missions, and so you can have a little bit more leeway compared to the the usual um, screening procedures there. So, what kind of training have they been getting? Yeah, so the, the training is uh, really multifaceted because this is something that we are trying for the first time. Uh, and as I said, there's like there's not going to be a professional uh, astronaut with them. And so this is uh, something that we have to train them. Like uh, there are three types of training that I can mention right away. So first is, uh, for example, the, 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 the systems level training. So systems level training, as in they have to be aware of what are what is the ISS, how is it built, what are the interfaces there, how do they operate the, the systems there. There is also the operation of the launch vehicle that they would be traveling in. 
and then uh, finally the operation of the research payloads that they would be uh, conducting research with so that's the systems level training right and then you have the the fact that there are four different people who are traveling uh, who are coming together and traveling uh, uh, to space so how do you do team uh, building and make sure that the team is cohesive so there is uh, this training that they did called the national outdoor leadership uh, leadership school uh, where they were uh, taken to Alaska and then they were dropped in a mountainous uh, location there and asked to find uh, a way uh, to their way to another destination as a team. So they had to come and work together uh, to solve challenges uh, and it's important for them to understand and leverage each other's strengths and uh, it's, a, it's just to simulate the environment and space where you are kind of almost alone. Um, I mean, of course, we would have ground uh, people so, uh, uh, um, helping them, but they still have to figure out their way. So that's one interesting training that they had to go through. And the, the last type of training that I want to mention is physical training, of course. So they, they did microgravity uh, uh, flights. So, so they did weightlessness training using parabolic flights and also um, the, the centrifuge uh, uh, training for uh, you know, withstanding the G-forces that they would be uh, experiencing when they go to space. I hope they did that Alaska expedition in the summertime and not the wintertime. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that was, one of the, that was one of the first ones that they did uh, in, with the, yeah. With so, so talk about the research they'll be conducting. Awesome. So, yeah, as uh, as you might have seen in the recent announcement from Axiom Space, uh, they are carrying a robust portfolio of research, microgravity research and other research uh, with them for doing on the space station. And that too within such a short time of 10, 10 days, right? Uh, or that includes the travel as well. So um, there are approximately 25 experiments and uh, they have committed a combined total of 100 hours of uh, human-tended uh, research to be conducted. And some of the things, some highlights are, for example, uh, uh, Larry Connor, who's one of the um, private astronauts, he uh, is going to be conducting some research on behalf of the Mayo Clinic uh, that is going to be studying impact of uh, microgravity on senescent uh, uh, cells and uh, and on heart, heart health, sorry. So what are senescent cells? So these are cells that are, um, that even we have in our body and they increase as you age. And uh, these cells stop dividing and, uh, and they cause problems uh, by not allowing your body to respond to diseases in the normal way. So studying them in microgravity can improve, uh, Im uh, improve like solve some of the aging related problems that we have back on earth. So this is an example where you're using space to solve problems back on earth. And then the other type of research that he's doing is also human, uh, human research, which is volunteering himself to to uh, to be studied before and after flight, uh, so there would there would be some high resolution MRIs that would be conducted on him uh, to to understand the effect of space on spinal and brain brain tissue. And the other astronauts, for example, Mark Patty, he he is uh, planning to lead some Earth observation uh, activities that will that will help with solving some challenges in the climate change, urbanization, and uh, and human habitation on in North America. 
and uh, the other uh, on the side of human uh, research, sorry, not human research, sorry, he, um, he's also doing like an interesting tech demo of two-way uh, holoportation. And what this means is that you imagine a hologram uh, that you're able to communicate both ways. And this is important because you can imagine that in space, you do get very lonely uh, over time. And so it is uh, this type of technology can really help, uh, you know, progress human space flight further. So this is really important as well. And uh, lastly, um, Aton uh, uh, will be uh, taking, uh, has dedicated his time towards the Ramon Foundation uh, in Israel, and they are doing a number of experiments that span across astrophysics, optics, ophthalmology, neurology, and uh, these scientific experiments will uh, ultimately help in solving challenges back on Earth as well. So a lot of good research to be done, and yet there are some probably who would say, well, they paid for the privilege, it's space tourism. Uh, is, do you see the X-1 mission as space tourism? And if not, what sets that apart? No, absolutely not. This is not space tourism. And the reason why is because, as I described, each one of these astronauts are carrying a robust portfolio of research uh, with them that and meaningful research that they that is going to like push frontiers of space flight in future. So both in terms of understanding how microgravity is going to potentially benefit both industry as well as um, uh, as well as academic work. Uh, and so the second aspect is human research aspect. So they themselves have volunteered uh, to be part of uh, a number of tests, which can help in further understanding of the effect of uh, space flight on human beings and you can imagine this is important for uh, right now because most of the people who have gone to space before are really fit people who have gone through a lot of training before. And this is uh, the almost opposite of that, right? So to understand the effects of microgravity on a, a common citizen that is traveling to space, uh, this is one of the first in that. So all of this put together, it's 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 not, uh, in our opinion, this is, uh, this is not just tourism, this is much more than that. Finally, Divya, I want you to look into your crystal ball and tell me what you see in the commercial space industry in the next 10 to 15 years. Absolutely. This is the most exciting part of working for Axiom Space uh, and the most exciting part of my role too, right? So it's about predicting that future. So uh, the first thing that I want to highlight is that there is definitely going to be uh, an increase in the popula uh, population of humans in, in the low Earth orbit. It's going to be steady. Uh, it's not probably going to be like huge numbers in the 10 to 15 years. But what I want to highlight is what it's going to be uh, very interesting to see the variety of people that go to space, right? It's not going to be the same type of people, um, different backgrounds, different countries, different ages, all of these, you're going to see, there are going to be a lot of firsts uh, in space. Um, that's that's uh, something that I thought is interesting. Um, then this, the second aspect is, uh, while Axiom Space is the first in the game uh, for the uh, for building commercial space station uh, in the uh, and but then it's not going to be the only player for sure and that's evidenced by um, a lot of announcements that you've seen in the last few months and that's really good because there there is that need and it is important to build that ecosystem and not going to be able to do it alone everybody has to come together to do that and that's already starting to happen. 
And you, you can also imagine that right now um, we we are, I described four modules, but I expect that there will be more modules added to our station that are specific towards uh, specific markets, like for example, hotels or, or manufacturing a certain product in space uh, or for communications, transportation. So there might be a lot of specific modules that we built and basically it's going to be a city in space, right? That's our grand vision. And uh, anything that a city needs, you need to build that. So that's that's one of the things in low Earth orbit. Going beyond the low Earth orbit, um, we believe there may be some, uh, so there'll be some commercial activity between the moon and and uh, and the earth and uh, potentially on the moon too because we're already starting to see companies coming up in that area mm -hmm. and if we are really really um, uh, very good and successful then we could probably see um, private missions to mars but that's really stretching the limit for 10 to 15 years uh, that, that that's uh, that's the main vision we see for the next few years uh, sorry next decade and one thing that I want to um, highlight here is we are yet to realize the full potential of space, um, especially because not many people on Earth have thought about it as a way to, to solve challenges that they face on Earth. Um, usually, we, when we say space, uh, people think about it as an exotic destination, and we have to solve challenges to reach that destination. Uh, but, you know, it's not the case anymore. Uh, I believe that the low Earth orbit is almost like an extension of the Earth now. You can imagine uh, like an equivalent of a, um, con a new continent that has been discovered like, you know, 500 years ago and what that led to over the 500 years, right? So, so it's similar to that. Like it's an extension of the Earth, which people can now use uh, and uh, for for innovation and that's going to push our, our frontiers into space exploration as well. Well, Divya, we've been hearing a lot about this X-1 mission at Axiom Space, so it's really great to get some insight from inside the company. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us today. Thank you, Tom, for having me, and it's been a great pleasure to, to be here. I've been talking with Divya Panchanathan, Business Development Manager for Material Science Research and Manufacturing in Space for Axiom Space. A programming note, this will be our final podcast for 2021. We hope you'll all enjoy the holiday season and we'll be back on January 6th to talk with Nino Marcantonio, founder and deputy director of the Defense Technology Innovation Program. That is going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. You can subscribe to the audio version of the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other popular podcasting platforms. Be sure to click on subscribe to be sure you don't miss an episode of the podcast or any of our other videos. You can also get daily news at xterrajsc.com. And one thing more, be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for joining us.